you. Thanks, Josh. I'm Claire, recovered alcoholic. Good to be here. I can, if you can't hear me, just give me a, you know, uh, so, all right, good. Um, I'm on like a, a weird internet connection, I think. Um, I'm in Florida, so I'm on vacation. So I'm in this vacation rental property and I've been having problems with internet, but thank you for the invitation, Josh. You know, I, I get this random text, you know, can you speak at our group in Mississippi? I'm like, okay, you know, it's just funny how God just has me in service, even when I don't want to be sometimes. And, uh, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, I have a sobriety date. It is July 25th, 1989. I, I, I've been sober since my first AA meeting and I know that's not always the case for a lot of people. Um, I didn't come to AA to get sober. I don't know anyone that came to AA to get sober. I know people that came here to get their jobs back, get their wives back, get their, you know, get out of jail. A lot of reasons why people come to AA. Um, and, uh, and I came here because I had a family that loved and cared about me enough to get me some help. And I didn't know what I suffered from. I didn't know what alcoholism was. I didn't understand any of it. I, um, I'll tell you what it was like and what happened and what it's like now. And I'll try to stay in that order, but sometimes I'm kind of all over the place. I pray before I speak and, you know, I ask God to, just keep me out of it. If that makes sense. You know, um, I get very anxious before I have to speak. And I think there's a few reasons. One is because I have an ego that just cranks, you know, and just, uh, wants to sound good and wants to impress people. And I also, um, coming from my heart, I'm always afraid that I won't do AA justice. I won't be able to, um, really fully describe or explain the transformation that happened to me here in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, and that I won't be able to um, just, I mean, really fully um, just coming from my heart, what happened to me. Um, but I'll give you a brief background. Um, well, first things first is I have a sponsor. Um, I, and I, my sponsor knows that she's my sponsor. I talk to her all the time, even with this length of sobriety, I'm probably better sponsored now than I've ever been. I do sponsor other alcoholics in AA and they sponsor alcoholics. And I believe that's how this works. I, um, I have a home group. It's called the Fishtown Group of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is just a neighborhood in Philly uh, called Fishtown. And um, it's been my home group for 23 years. Uh, I've been in service there for many years. I um, What it was like is my parents had way too many kids for me. Um, my parents had 14 kids. I'm number 13 out of 14, Irish Catholic family. And I always hear people say, you know, I grew up in a big family and I'm like, yeah, I probably could top that. And I have 45 nieces and nephews and I have um, a family that loves and cares about me. And, um, 
and I didn't always appreciate my family. I didn't really, uh, I wasn't always loving and kind and I didn't always see the good in my family, right? Because I was like a crazy alcoholic that was ripping through their lives and destroying um, relationships. And I picked up a drink when I was, I guess, about 12 years old. And, uh, you know, the doctor's opinion talks about that men and women drink essentially for the, um, I can't even talk, um, for the effect produced by alcohol. And the effect that it had on me was I got relief. I picked up a drink and I got relief. And what I got relief, relief from was my mind, right? I was always like really anxious and um, it seemed like, you know, it was like nonstop. And when I took a drink, it stopped and it was like amazing to me. So I drank for the effect and that effect I chased for years and years and years. And then at some point, alcohol stopped working for me. Uh, I didn't know I was alcoholic. I didn't know what alcoholism was. Um, I didn't understand the ego. I didn't understand the spiritual malady. When I came to AA, nobody was talking about that. I, I thought it was a twofold disease. I thought, you know, uh, once I drink, it sets off that phenomenon of craving. I can't stop drinking. And once I stop or God step or I get separated from it, my own mind would take me back to a drink every single time. And, and yet that's all I thought that was wrong with me. So when I came to AA, I thought, all I got to do is stop drinking. But prior to me getting to AA, um, it's a progressive illness. And it started progressing, right? It was getting worse and worse. And our book says that it gets worse, never better. And that's what was happening to me. Um, through the years of drinking, things were getting worse. I always had like ideas of, I'm just going to go out for two drinks. I was in the restaurant business. We would get done work. They'd give you an after shift drink. And, and, and I meant it. Like, I, I got to get home. I got to get a shower. I got to get my uniform together for tomorrow. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to stay out all night and I'm going to just have two drinks. And then I would get to the bar and I would start drinking. But what I thought happened was I changed my mind, right? Because I wouldn't come, I wouldn't get home. I wouldn't come to, I wouldn't make it to work the next day. And this went on and on for years and years and years. I just didn't know that that was part of this illness this craving, um, that developed. And so, um, you know, I started losing jobs. I couldn't tell the truth. I was always in trouble. I owed a lot of people money. It was just getting like really out of hand and out of control. And, um, you know, I'd go to the bar and, and uh, you know, my friend would say like, yo, there's a guy at the, you know, other end of the bar. And he said, we can all go to his house and drink. And I'm thinking I got to get home. And he's like, he's got a pile of Coke and a kegerator and a bunch of booze. And I'm like, all right. And I would look over at the guy and he looked like a serial killer. And the next thing I know, we're like hanging in some dude's house that I never even seen in my life. And I'm stuck there for three days and there's roaches dropping from the ceiling. And it was like insane. Insanity. 
And I'm so paranoid sitting in a corner and, and I can't leave this house. I can't call work and tell them that, you know, some other, like some story, because I always had stories of why I couldn't make it to work. And then I would have a thought, like, I'll just quit that job in the restaurant business. I can get another job tomorrow. And, and like, this is what I thought was unmanageability. This is what I thought when people were talking about that in AA, that this was the unmanageability piece. Like I couldn't manage my life. I thought I didn't know about the bedevilments or anything like that. I, I just thought that, you know, uh, getting locked up, you know, stealing my sister's car, taking my mom's credit cards, taking her jewelry and all the things that I did was the unmanageability piece. Right. Can't stop lying. Can't hold a job. And, and until I was a really long time sober, had an understanding of unmanageability because um, I started to experience that sober. So I had a lot of different experiences sober because of the length of time I'm sober. But um, what happened was I lost another job. I'm in a lot of trouble. And my big sister who always took care of me showed up at my parents' house one day. And she said, look, you pack a bag right now. Um, or we go downstairs and tell mom and dad, you got a drug problem. And, uh, and so I packed a bag, right. She's going to make me move in with her and her husband. And, um, they lived in Fishtown, which is, you know, where I live. And uh, it's a neighborhood in Philly, uh, middle class, and everyone sits out front of their house on beach chairs with coolers of beer right next to them. And uh, there's a church or in a bar on every other corner. And on the way there, she was giving me like rules, you know, listen, she said, you can drink on the weekends, you can't do any cocaine. And I mean, this was the 80s, right? And she said, and um, you can, uh, you smoke all the weed you want. And that was the rules. She said, I'm going to give you a job and I'm going to take all the money that you make and I'm going to pay anybody that you owe money to back. And at this point, I really couldn't manage my life. And she was offered to do it for me. So I was going to let her. And we picked up an ounce of weed and we went to my sister's house in Fishtown. And, um, and within three months, so the job that she gave me was a hot dog vendor. And I don't know if you've ever been in a hot dog cart, but it's about 120 degrees on a good day. And it's this metal box and there's a steam table and a coffee urn and it's hot as hell in there. And uh, I, I was detoxing in this box, sweating and shaking. And, and I couldn't stand to be in sober skin. I didn't know what was wrong with me at the time, but I just couldn't take that restless, irritable and discontentedness. And, uh, and as soon as she would leave me unattended at the cart, you know, like I was on my own, they would set me up in the morning and leave. I would take off. I'd leave this hot dog cart and I'd run up to this playground a couple blocks away. Cause I couldn't stand to be sober. I couldn't stand, you know, being in this trapped in this box and I would, you know, get what I got and run back. And, um, I was always in trouble. I was always getting caught. They would be waiting for me on the corner. Like, where the hell were you? You're, you know, you leave the cart unattended. There's homeless people in the cart having a hot dog party. You're off doing God knows what. And I would make up stories of what happened and where I would go. And I was always getting caught in my lies, you know. So one day they set me up, right? 
They knew I was stealing money. I'm embezzling money out of the hot dog cart at this point, right? So they set me up and they, um, you know, I steal the money, right? They knew I was going to do it. I stole the money. And of course I lied about it. I'm not going to tell the truth when I get confronted. God, no, right? So uh, next thing I know, you know, my sister and her husband take me to my parents' house. Everyone's screaming at me. And, and, and I'm like, you know, getting thrown into a detox. Um, I didn't know what it, they said. You're going to a detoxification unit. I'm like, what the hell is that? Right. So like, I never heard of anyone in AA. I, I, one guy I knew that used to drink Jack Daniels from the bottle. Uh, he got sober in our neighborhood, but that was the only guy I knew. And, um, and so they threw me into this detox and I'm sitting there in a paper dress, eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, drinking Shasta because they don't really like you to have caffeine. And, um, and, and, and the guy that's next to me in a paper dress says, you know, you ought to go to a rehab. And I'm like, what do you know, dude? And he said, it's my 17th detox. I'm like, don't you got a life? You know, like <laughs> I had no understanding of this illness. And he's like, I can't stop. And I was like, oh. it was like, honestly, the first time I ever heard anyone tell the truth about their drinking. Everyone I drank with lied about the amount they drank or the amount they didn't drink, you know, for years. And, um, and so he said, listen, you know, you should go to a rehab. They're going to offer you rehab from here. You should go to rehab. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, what do they do at rehab? He's like, oh, they got this psych psychotherapy and it's going to be great. And he tells me all this stuff and they got swimming pools and stuff. And I'm like, you know, I could really use a vacation because my whole family wants to kill me at this point. So the next thing I know, I'm packing two bathing suits. I'm going to rehab. My parents were screaming at me. It was so nuts. And, uh, they make my brother drive me to rehab. And this was a brother that I couldn't stand most of my life. And uh, he had been in a bunch of rehabs. And he said, what do you think they're going to do there? I said, they're going to teach me, like, you know, just say no. And he gets hysterical. And I'm like, what's so funny? And he's like, just call me in a week. I'm like, well, what are they going to do to me? He's like, just call me in a week. I'm like, I don't want to go. So I, I go to this rehab with a Miller Lite shirt on because I'm a bartender, you know, and, and I walk in and they all come running to me. You can't wear that shirt in here. I'm like, what's the matter with my shirt? Like, I just was clueless. Right. And so I um, they have this family meeting. You know how you see on TV where they're like, you know, we really love you. and We want to get you help. And and thank God they didn't bring my whole family. They brought a couple sisters, a brother in law, my parents and we're sitting around this table with this counselor and she's got a chain hickey on her neck. I'm thinking this is bizarre. And they're all talking at me and, you know, my sister's asking questions, right? They're, they're like yelling at like, first of all, you, you know, you're a piece of shit. You stole mommy's jewelry. It was nothing like you see on TV where they write you letters and say, we love you. They're like, we're pressing charges. We're going to kill you. You know, that kind of stuff. And the next thing I know, um, my sister's asking questions. She's like, well, you know, the lady said, I think your sister should go to AA. And she's like, she's not an alcoholic lady. She's a drug addict. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, my God, my mom and dad are sitting right here. And she said, um, well, I don't think she can drink alcohol. 
And she said, are you telling me that if my cousin gets married, she can't drink at the wedding? And the lady's like, is your cousin getting married? She's like, it's hypothetical, lady. And she's like, what about New Year's Eve? She can't drink on New Year's Eve. Everyone drinks on New Year's Eve. And I chime in and say, yeah, what about it? And the lady's like, oh, my God, they all looked at me like they want to kill me. And the lady goes, it's July, people. Can we get a grip here? It's July. You're worried about, you know, December. And um, and she's, you know, explaining she should go to 90 meetings in 90 days, all rehab talk. And um, and I never been to one. So I didn't know. And I just remember my sister getting this look on her face and turning to me and saying, are you that far gone? Like, you got to be kidding me because I drank with my sister for years. She's like, are you that far gone that you can't just have a couple drinks and go home? I don't know what's wrong with you, but you've been missing. Like, you know, you come home in the same uniform you were in three days ago. Your face is dirty. You go to work in the same makeup. Like, what is going you don't we don't even recognize you don't even look the same I was covered in bruises I was completely malnourished I looked a mess and um you know I didn't really have an answer for her because I didn't know what was wrong with me and um and they they suggested that I stay in this rehab longer than the 28 days because I didn't understand it and they kept me for 41 days and at that moment my own mind came up with a plan. I don't know about you, but I always have like reservations and plans. And the plan was I'm going to play along. I'm going to play this game. And when everyone gets off my back, I can drink again. And it's 31 years later. And God had a much better plan for my life because that was my plan, right? Because I had that great obsession that someday I'll be able to control and enjoy my drinking. And the truth is, when I was trying to control my drinking, I wasn't enjoying it. And when I was enjoying drinking, I was completely out of control. So I got sober. I didn't know I was getting sober. I, I was like, that does not sound like fun to me. You know, getting sober, it sounded horrifying. And, uh, and I just thought I'm too young to quit drinking. There's drinks I haven't even tasted yet. There's bars I still want to get to. Like, you know, you got to be kidding me. I thought my life was over and I, I came to AA and uh, I didn't even know what was going on in AA. I got sober in two clubhouses in Philadelphia. Uh, one was kind of like a biker clubhouse, but no one owned a bike. Okay. The other one was like everyone in there had uh, chains hanging from their wallet, covered in tattoos, beating each other up. And these were the women, no teeth. I was like, what is like this place is insane. Right. I just thought AA was the craziest place I had ever been to. And um, and no one carried a big book. And that's the truth. It's 1989 and I never seen a big book. Right. I heard about it. I thought, how big is this book? Like, what are you guys talking about? Uh, there was a few whispers about it going through the steps, but mostly it was a just don't drink kind of crew. And that works for some people. But if you're a real deal alcoholic, you know, that bottom of the barrel, hole in the soul alcoholic, that's not going to work for you because it didn't work for me. Although God kept me sober, I got very, very sick sober. And I stayed in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous completely untreated for a really long time. 
So if you're new, I don't want you to listen to that, but I was eight years sober before I opened a big book. And this is what happened. I, um, they treated alcoholism with make another meeting. I would put my hand up at the noon meeting and I would say, I want to drink today. And they would say, Ari, honey, go to another meeting. And I'd go to the six o'clock meeting and the eight o'clock meeting and the midnight meeting. And, and that's what they were doing. They were treating alcoholisms with alcoholism with as, you know, go to as many meetings as you possibly can. And I'm starting to emotionally unravel. I'm going through, you know, um, just that mental anguish that comes with this wicked spiritual malady. And I don't know what's the matter with me because everyone else seems like they're okay. And I'm not, and I don't understand it. And I, I was watching people do a lot of shady things sober, right? We're in like the sickest clubhouses in, in AA in Philly and they can sleep at night. You know, I tell a lie and I am twisted up with fear and my mind's going and going and going for days. And uh, like, I'm just unraveling and I don't know what's the matter with me. Right. Why does everybody else seem like they're getting better? And I, I think that's part of alcoholism. Everybody else looks like they're doing good and I'm not. What about me? That guy in the dress in the detox said to me, you better start praying. If you want a chance at any of this, you better start praying. And I prayed from the minute I got sober and, and I had a lot of crazy prayers. I asked God for a lot of things. And I, and I was really like driven by this selfishness of when am I going to be happy? You know, like, when am I going to be happy? And, um, and, and I of course had like a lot of ideas of what would make me happy. And I would ask God for things, right this stuff of sobriety. And I got a lot of stuff. I got it. I became employable. I got a job. I was, um, you know, I started get, getting material things and I thought this is AA, right? This is what you do. You get a boyfriend and, and, uh, my first boyfriend, um, I don't know how relationships work for you, but we met and two weeks later we're moving in cause we love each other. And I don't even know if I knew his full name. Right. And, uh, and my sponsor was like, I don't think that's a good idea. Well, I'm not going to listen to her. And, um, and I live with this guy, I guess I had about a year sober and at about a year and a half sober, um, uh, I couldn't take the craziness anymore that he had relapsed and stole my gold chains. I mean, you know, it's early nineties, right? My VCR. And I said, maybe you should move back into that recovery house I drug you out of. And he did. And three weeks later, he married my best friend. So I found out what a resentment was, you know, like it was just madness running around AA, like doing like, you know, six meetings a day. And, uh, and uh, you know, that resentment almost ate me alive. And I, I thought I was mental because I had no outlet for it. I had no treatment. I remember people saying, you need to pray for them. And I was like, I'm not praying for them. And, uh, and I remember people saying things like, you may be the only example of a big book they'll ever meet. I'm like, I don't even think I have a big book. Like it was nuts. And, um, and so, um, you know, like 22 years later, I, um, that girl came to me 
and asked me to help her. And um, she said, I can't stop drinking. Would you help me? And she said, I can't believe you're still sober. I said, me either. And, um, and she said, um, I just need help. Would you help me? And the truth is, I don't have the capacity for that kind of forgiveness. And I don't know when I stopped obsessing about it or I, I forgave them because I had nothing to do with that. Right. But a loving God allowed me to sponsor that woman. And, and it was a pretty amazing experience. But at the time, there was no way that, you know, I had a God or a connection with God that I would ever imagine that God would put me in that position. I, um, you know, I met another guy, right? Six months later. And uh, same thing. Two weeks later, we're moving in. We love each other. So crazy looking back. And, um, you know, he picked up a drink and he couldn't stop drinking. And I watched powerlessness and hopelessness like I had never seen in another person. And um, like I would come home from work, he'd be laying in the oven, he was going to kill himself. Like it was crazy, right? He'd take apart the drop ceiling like in the middle of the night. And, and I would come to AA and, and people would ask me how he was doing. And I was so afraid of what people thought about me that I would just say, he's doing really good. Because now I'm terrified and that's a bad place to be in AA is not being able to be honest because you're so afraid of what people think of you. And I'm also afraid they're going to say, he's got to go. You're going to get drunk if you stay with this guy. And, uh, and I lived with this guy for two and a half years and uh, I had never experienced insanity like this. I mean, he was like shooting dope in my living room and I was lying in AA about it. And, uh, I came home from work one night and found Michael down on my living room floor. And I, you know, like I had, when I said I had a lot of experiences in AA, it wasn't all rainbows and unicorns, you know, I had a lot of like loss and heartache and, and God kept me sober anyhow, no matter how arrogant I was, no matter how defiant I was, how selfish I was, how fearful I was that God was keeping me sober. Now, I don't know when I had that realization and uh, I, I, I would switch sponsors like I was just searching and I was about three years sober and my little brother got sober. And within a year, him and another guy went to this big book conference and they started a big book study. And it was like amazing, right, to watch their transformation but at this point, I'm hiding behind my time and I don't want what they have or what they're offering because my ego won't let me say to them, I need your help. I mean, we tortured them. They would walk into the clubhouse that nobody had a big book and they had each had a big book in their hand. And people would be like, here comes Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob. I mean, this is the kind of AA I got sober in. Like it was unheard of. And that's so crazy to me today that, you know, um, that people didn't carry a big book, but this is just my experience. And, um, and so I guess about eight years sober, I sat down with someone, we opened the book, um, and, and we wrote inventory and I honestly didn't feel like, um, I had like a, like a lightning bolt experience. I, I didn't feel like any different. Right. 
I, I just maybe prayed a li- little differently. And, uh, and I was told to go help people. And, and I was trying and I didn't even understand it. And so probably about 12 years sober, looking back, like I was sponsoring a lot of people, I'm general chair of my home group. And from the outside, everything looks good. But it, my internal condition is still getting worse and worse, right? That's what's going on with me. I'm a prey to misery and depression, uh, a feeling of uselessness. Like this was happening every single day. But, you know, at 12 years sober, I'm again hiding behind my time and I don't want to tell anybody this. And I just thought, well, this is how it is. And my prayers were more like, you know, God, when are you going to make me happy? What about me? Did you forget about me? Just that ugh, sickening selfishness. And um, about 15 years sober, my sister and I had this great idea to open a restaurant. We've been in the restaurant business forever and we opened this restaurant, you know, and I was about 18 and a half years sober at this point. And the restaurant is bleeding money. I'm financially insecure. Uh, I I'm going through emotional turmoil constantly. Um, you know, I'm praying to God for money. I I don't even know like really how to pray or, or what's going on. Um, it was almost like those prayers where God, please help me, please help me right now. You know, that kind of stuff. And, um, and my, and I'm like a, a real pain in the ass. You know, I'd walk into this restaurant. Nobody's doing things right. Everybody's I'm come so untreated again. I fall asleep again in AA and this happened over and over and over again. I just didn't know it. Right. I, but like, you know, the truth is I wasn't really following a full program. I wasn't temp stepping. I wasn't doing a nightly review. There was no meditation in my life. And if somebody said, you know, like, are you working a solid program? I'd be like, yeah, I'm general chair of my home group. You know, I'm a, you know, I have sponsees, they have sponsees, I'm doing this thing. And, um, and, and like, you know, my, my behavior and my attitude at work was just like obnoxious. And uh, my sister tells me she doesn't want to be business partners with me anymore. And I'm like, screw you, you know, I don't get humbled by this. I get resentful. And I'm so twisted with resentment that I get on my knees again, like another sober bottom. And I ask God for some help. And I write this inventory and I say, God, I don't even know what my help looks like. I have a sponsor. I don't even listen to her anymore. And I looked around the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and I, and I, and I kept saying, please God, make it clear. Cause I need help. Like I'm dying here. I'm going to drink. I'm going to drink at 18 and a half years sober. Like, you know, that agitation, right. That like restlessness was like, you know, not even the word I was crazy out of my mind. And, um, and so I, I, I kept praying for a couple of days and, and I would see this guy in AA and, and he was real happy and he was free. And I knew his story. He had three and a half years sober. He lived under a bridge and there was a transformation. He was going for his master's degree. And I, I was like, I'm going to go ask this guy for help. And, and, uh, and like, you know, I got sober in, in, in an AA where it was like, you know, your sponsor should have more time than you men with the men, women with the women. I just needed to help. Right. And, and it was pretty clear to me that this guy could help me. 
And I went to him and I asked him for some help. And he said, Claire, I don't know if I can help you. You're sober a really long time. You know the book. And I was like, I'm dying. Dude, I'm dying. I don't even know what's wrong with me. And he said, he got real quiet. And he said, did you ever hear the set aside prayer? And I said, yeah. And he said, we're going to say it. I said, I just lied to you. I never heard that prayer. He's like, this is going to be awesome, right? So, so we say the set aside prayer. And he explained to me what, you know, what, what happened? He said, listen, Claire, you're relying on an old experience here in AA. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just old and it isn't working anymore. And you need a new experience. And boy, did I have a new experience, man. I was lit up. I mean, honest to God, it was like crazy, you know, like traveling to meetings and road trips and so much fun that I hadn't had in a long time. And but I still get this restaurant that I don't know what to do with. Right. Like, you know, there's still this thing and uh, which caused me a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety. And I said to him, maybe I need a spiritual director. Right. You know, at this point, I'm coming up on 20 years. People with 20 years get spiritual directors. He's like, do what you want to do. So I started to meet with this nun and she taught me how to meditate and she taught me how to be quiet. And I had never done that. I do it like here and there on a YouTube video, but I had never consistently done that. And, um, and, and she really helped me. And one day I said, did I ever tell you I own a restaurant and that we're in a lot of trouble? And she said, no. She said, did you ever talk to God about it? I said, well, I pray for money. She's like, oh my God, go in the chapel right now and tell God everything you told me. And I went in this chapel and I said, look, I'm out of money and I'm out of ideas. And, um, I just need a sign. Like, do I keep this restaurant open? Like, I, I don't know what even help looks like at this point. And, and, uh, and I said, and I need a big sign because I'm delusional. I'll, I'll get a reservation for two people and think God wants me to keep this restaurant open. And I left that, I left that chapel. And four hours later, I walked in the restaurant and uh, my waiter said, you got a phone call that you've been from some producer in Hollywood. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, you've been anonymously nominated for a reality TV show that helps restaurants that are in trouble. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And it blew my mind because I didn't really think that God answered prayers that quickly. I never understood when people were talking about a God personal to them. I didn't know that God cared about me that much. I mean, that's the truth. That 20 years sober and and so I called this lady on the phone and she's like, we get 2000 emails a day and people are begging for our help. She said, um, we got one email about your restaurant and it really caught our attention. And I said, was it me? And she said, no, honey, all it said was, I think these girls could use your help. And I just started crying. And I thought that was my really big sign because I thought that's a pretty big sign. And, uh, I got picked for this show. <laughs> so I didn't really know how big God was, right? And what a sense of humor. I was on 34 radio stations. I was on Good Day Philadelphia talk show twice. I mean, it was national, this, this show. And uh, I was the season premiere that year. And I couldn't believe it because I watched the show all the time. And I was like, yeah, they're dirty restaurants. And she's like, we just help people just remember that we just help people. And, uh, and it really blew my mind, you know, that like, 
this world renowned chef showed up in my little restaurant and helped us. And I never actually made money. I just didn't go further in debt. And I would have closed that door probably within a month had that not shown up. And, and I got to keep the restaurant open for another year and a half, like, you know, till my lease was done. But I, but like, you know, I, it's just like, I, I had honest doubt and prejudices. My sponsor says we travel with an agnostic every single day. We have an ego that rebuilds so quickly that we don't even see it. And um, I didn't know, like, you know, that God was that big and that personal. And, and, and everything was what, like every, all went well for a while until I fell asleep again about 25 years sober. And that's what keeps happening to me, right? Over and over and over again. And so I'm coming up on 30 years sober and I'm scheduled to speak at this conference, which I don't even know why people ask me to speak, you know, cause I think there's so many amazing speakers in AA and they love to speak. I don't like to speak, right? And, um, and I, I think what it is, you know, the truth is where I'm most useful and effective is one-on-one with a sponsee, sitting down and opening that book. That's where I like to be. And um, anyhow, it's like 700 people at this conference and I'm having a meltdown, right? I'm so untreated again. I don't know. At this point, I don't even think it's alcoholism. I didn't know uh, really about the bedevilments. I didn't know that you can suffer this bad at 30 years sober. And so I called my friend on the phone one day. I said, listen, I'm going to bail on this conference. She said, no, you're not. I said, oh, yes, I am. I got nothing. What am I going to do? Go to the podium and say, I'm uh, coming up with 30 years sober. I sleep 15 hours a day. I can't stop eating. I hate everyone. She's like, oh, my God, Claire. She said, please call my friend. Please call my friend. I'm telling you she can help you. So I said, okay. But I'm still bailing on that. She said, no, you're not. Just call. So I call this lady on the phone. No, I don't even know her. I heard of her. I know she's around. She used to be around Philly. She doesn't live in Philly anymore. But I called her because she was a friend of a friend's. And I trusted my friend. And I didn't know God was speaking through my friend that day. And I called this lady on the phone. And she started, like, asking me questions that no one had ever asked me before. She said, Claire, do you live in the circle and triangle? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And she said, do you think you treat your alcoholism? And of course, you know, my ego's like, yes, I do. I go to AA. I don't even think this is alcoholism. My sponsor people, they sponsor people. I'm in service, you know. And she said to me, when do you do 10 steps? And I'm like, not really. And she's like, oh, do you do a nightly review? I said, I used to. And she's like, Claire, you're not treating your alcoholism. These are daily practices. And I was like, oh, I thought you just did a 10 step once in a while. She's like, every day, right? She was like, oh my God, what does your meditation practice look like? I said, I got none. She's like, this is why you're getting so sick. And then she went through the bedevilments with me. And uh, she said, are you a prey to misery and depression? I said, I am. And she said, how? And no one ever asked me that question, right? Do you have a feeling of hope, uselessness? I'm like, yeah. Well, how often? I'm like, daily. 
She's like, because you're not treating your alcoholism. You're not living in the circle and triangle. You're on one side of that triangle. And if you're a real alcoholic, you're going to start getting really sick and untreated. You can't pick and choose what you want to do in AA to get well. And that's what I had been doing all these years. I didn't even know that, right? Like, I just thought, you, you know, like, I got time. I don't have to do what everyone else does. And the crazy part is the longer God keeps me sober, the more I have to do. And um, she started to talk about the ego. And she started to talk to me about like, you know, my mind and me listening to my mind and reacting on everything that my mind told me. And I, I never heard anyone talk about that. Like I'm been, I've been sitting, you know, in this like egoic trance and I'm listening to my mind crank. Like I wake up with the rids, like I already am restless, irritable and discontented. And I would open that book on awakening and I would read that. And I, and, and I never paused throughout the day. You know, I never woke up the watcher. I wasn't looking for stuff to crop up and I just would just like run on self all day long and, um, and, and not knowing like that you can become that sick sober. I was, I felt so hopeless at 30 years sober and, um, you know, I recognize it now. Like I, I understand alcoholism. Like I had never ever before. I don't know if you guys can see me. Okay. But, um, so I'll tell you why I'm in Florida. Uh, we kind of needed a vacation. Um, my little brother, um, at about 10 years sober, stopped coming to AA. Now this was a guy I watched get transformed from the big book was banging the big book, big book. Like I had never seen. And, and he started to suffer from a lot of depression, right? He thought he was like, he, he, you couldn't convince him that it was alcoholism. He thought it was depression and he thought like, um, he needed medicine and, you know, he had gotten into the church and he stopped coming to AA and he stopped sponsoring people and he got deeper and deeper into self and I could see it, but I couldn't convince him to come back to AA. And I would say, try to say, why don't you make a meeting with me? I don't need AA. It's not, you know, that's not what my problem is. And, um, and I watched my little brother unravel and get really, really sick. And about two and a half months ago, he took his life at 28 years sober. And I know that that's how untreated alcoholics get. See, I don't need alcohol to activate alcoholism. And, and, and I, I never really understood that. I thought once I was separated from the drink that I would just get better. And that's not my kind of alcoholism. I just get worse. I hear people in AA say a lot, like, I love being an alcoholic. And I'm thinking we don't have the same thing. Because I think it's torture to be alcoholic. To have the mind of a chronic alcoholic is torture. And without a spiritual solution, I am screwed. And um, he had four kids. I'm sorry. I just like, my whole family's like, he was depressed. But I know differently. And I know that I could be him in a minute. 
If I stop taking action, if I stop being sponsored, if I stop prayer and meditation, if I stop doing 10 steps, if I stop my nightly review, like I have a solid sponsor now, I have to email my nightly review every night. And if she doesn't get that email, she'll ask me, where's your nightly review? I've never been accountable all these years. I was completely undisciplined. And, uh, and something happened to me in the last two years that blew my mind that I had, I experienced freedom. Like I had never experienced before in all these years and the programs outlined in the book. And the crazy part is I'm telling other sponsees how to do it. And I'm not even doing it. I mean, you know, I don't think that's uncommon, (laughs) but, um, I just, um, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't know when that happened, but I know where it happened. And that was in AA. You know, I had a lady just recently say to me, I can't believe you still go to AA. And I'm like, I don't want to be anywhere else. You know, like I, I got nowhere else to go. Like, you know, AA has just enhanced my whole life because of the principles, because of sponsorship, because of you know, um, having working knowledge of the 12 steps and really understanding alcoholism. I just, I have a treatment here and it works. It's unbelievable to me that I kept missing this, right. Or I would just stop doing certain things and fall back asleep, but I never really fully was working a solid program. And, um, and what a difference. I don't know. I know it's getting to that time. I'm trying to look at the time. I don't know if anybody got any help out of what I was saying. Um, but I, I, um, I do appreciate the invitation, even though I get terrified still to speak. I just think, you know, God's doing it for me because I, um, I can get very isolated with just, you know, my little AA circle. Right. And for some reason, God branches me out. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my sponsor, like she'll tell me I'll text her throughout the day and she'll say to me, Claire, sit down right here, right now. Right. She'll say, open your eyes and you look around is everything okay? And I say, yeah, all is well, right? I say, yeah. She said, do you have food? Do you have shelter? Do you have people that love and care about you? I said, yeah. Do you love God? Yeah. God loves you. I say, I know. She goes, so all is well right here, right now. And she gets me back in the great reality. And um, I just need that. And, and I'm grateful that I have a sponsor that understands alcoholism, that she's armed with the facts and she knows exactly what's going on with me and, um, and that I'm accountable to because she's honestly saved my life. Once again, someone in AA showed up and helped me when I desperately needed it. And, uh, and if you're in that spot, somebody on this meeting absolutely can help you. So um, don't hide behind your time done that doesn't work and don't be afraid to ask for help because it's here thank you all so much